0: I think it is beginning time, so put your chairs where you want to sit, have a seat, we'll get started. Those of you at home are already in your favorite chair, I'm sure. We're going to begin a study of Romans today. A little windy study of Romans, but we're going to tackle it. This morning on the uh, way to class, I decided that I would obey the speed limit perfectly. All the way. Watch it very carefully and always stay below it. Just one law, but I said, I I can do that. Well, it was tricky because for a while it was 70 was the speed limit. And then it went to 60 and then it went to 50 and then it went to 55 and then it went back to 70. And sometimes because of the construction, the sign said 70 and then right beside it was a sign that said 55. And then I got a little further, and the sign, big sign, said 60, and the other one said 50. Well, it was confusing. It was hard. It was difficult. Plus, it took me a lot longer to get to church. But just following one law is a little difficult sometimes. But you see, I wanted to be right. I wanted to be righteous. Is another word for it. Righteousness is a quality of being right. And when we talk about righteousness in relationship to God, then it's a whole different matter because God is inherently righteous, He's the only one who is completely right. And to be righteous in relationship to God, to conform to his character, to his will, to his laws, is difficult. There was a fellow one time many years ago who was so in love with God that he decided to become a monk so he could serve God better. And he became a monk and he was very pious and he was so sincere about trying to follow every thing that he found in the Bible so he could be righteous. And he worked really hard at it. And he found out they couldn't do it. And he tried harder. And he found out he couldn't do it. And he finally got to the point where he said He hated God because God was so unfair. God made these rules and he couldn't keep them. He found out he couldn't be righteous. Now, the book that we're going to study for the next 13 weeks or so, Romans, uses that word a lot. The word itself, righteous, is in there about 30 times the word close to it justified and a few other variations of that that mean the same thing in there another 30 times so over and over and over paul wrote to the roman church about this thing we've been talking about righteousness all right now that's kind of our little thought introduction to get us started and let everybody get seated that comes just a little bit late So now let's start studying Romans. But we can't quite study Romans yet until we get the uh, perspective of what Romans is about and who it's to. So let's play a little play act here where you're the church in Rome. Actually, you're not the whole church in Rome because they didn't have one great big building and all get together. They had house churches. So let's play like it's 56 A.D., and it's Sunday morning in Rome, and you're in a house church. Okay? Got that so far? Okay, now we've got to go a little bit further. It's a really big day today, by the way. We'll get to that later, but it's a really big day. In fact, there's people here from a lot of the other house churches Folks that have come from other places because they've heard what's going on today in this house church. This is a big one. Okay, now let's understand the city we're in. We're in Rome, about a million people in Rome. It is the center of the world center of trade, center of politics, the military station there. It's got everything. And it's got all kinds of people there's slaves, there's free. There's Roman citizens who have a special class, if you will. There's people who are not Roman citizens. There's all kinds of political people. There's all the heads of the army, the the, the military folks are there. And there's some Jews. There's some Christians. And there's all kinds of cults. They worship anything you can think of almost in our city. They are very uh, polytheistic is the word for it. They worship all kinds of gods. But one of the ones that they worship is the head of state, uh, the emperor, the Caesar. Uh, Right now in 56 AD, Nero is the Caesar. Hadn't been Caesar very long. He's young, but he's Caesar right now. And one of his titles is son of God. That's how they think of him. And they thought of the Caesars that way. and when a Caesar had a son, the heralds went through the streets and proclaimed the gospel, the good news that Caesar had had a son. Okay? So that's a little bit about the culture we live in. Uh, you as Christians in Rome really aren't persecuted. You face a little bit of problems because uh, to be loyal to the state, you have to sacrifice to the gods. doesn't really matter what gods you sacrifice to, but as long as you admit that Caesar is a god and you do some sacrifices to gods, you're considered loyal to the state. Other than that, they don't really care who or what you worship. Now, you've got a little problem because you're Christians, you're you're monotheists. You think there's just one God. The Jews, they've got a problem because they're monotheists. They think there's just one God. So you do get persecuted a little bit in some ways. The authorities and others look down on you and you, you have a hard time at certain official functions and all that. But you're not really persecuted yet. Oh, you're going to be, because Nero is going to get after you pretty soon. And Nero's not quite as nuts as he's going to get, but he's nuts. Yeah, He got to be emperor because his mother poisoned Claudius, his daddy, because she wanted Nero to be emperor. So that's, you know, slightly dysfunctional family. And Nero's 20 years old now, and he's emperor. His mother, Agrippina, actually wants to run things. She wants to be the boss and tell Nero what to do. So he puts up with that for about three years, and three years from now, he poisons her. So that's who's our head of state. And after another ten, about ten years, or less than ten years, Nero's going to go completely off the rails and really start persecuting you. Uh, in ten years, there will be some mornings where we show up like this at house church and somebody will be missing because Nero found out they were a Christian, took them, used them as a torch to light his garden parties. Okay, so that's coming, but it's not here yet. Okay. Now, Our church here, our little house church, is about 23 years old, thereabouts, because we're about 23 years after Pentecost, and that's most likely how our church started. On the day of Pentecost, there were some visitors from Rome there, Jewish people who went to Jerusalem for the Passover and were converted to Christianity, and became Christians and went back to Rome. So our church has been around for a little over 20 years, and it's made up of Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so let's go right by the camera here, and let's say that you guys want to be the Jews? Okay, we got Jews over here. You guys are the Jews in the church, and you guys are the Gentiles. Now, you don't sit like that all the time. You you get along better than that, but... We got Jews and Gentiles in our little house church here. And for a long time, or well, seven or eight years, you guys were the only Christians. Okay? Because it was all Jews. Okay? About 15 years ago, some of you guys started showing up because you'd heard that a fellow named Cornelius had been converted to Christianity. In fact, he was a Roman citizen, so he probably got some relatives out here. Okay. Some people that were related to the first Gentile convert. And that that's what our church has become, is a mixed congregation. Now, a lot of you in here... Well, not a lot compared to the, the big crowd, but somewhere around 30 of you know the Apostle Paul. Okay, At the end of the book of Romans, he says hello to a whole lot of you that he knows. And he mentions you specifically and tells some things about you. Uh, you can read chapter 16 when you get home and find out some of these people. But uh, one of the Gentiles is Eponidas. Eponidas was the first convert when Paul went to preach in Asia. Very first person that Paul probably baptized. Okay. He's in the Roman church now. So you know Paul well, Eponidas. Uh, on the Jewish side, there's Andronicus and Junia are out here somewhere. Uh, Andronicus and Junia were in prison with Paul. We don't know exactly where or uh, the circumstances, but they were prisoners with him. And on top of that, Andronicus and Junia know all the apostles. They're well known by all the apostles. And Paul tells us they were baptized before he was, so you were probably baptized on Pentecost. Andronicus and Junia, they're the old senior citizens of this church. Now, another Gentile is Rufus. So over here we got Rufus. And Rufus himself isn't real famous, but he's kind of important because his daddy was Simon. Simon of Cyrene. He carried the cross for Jesus. And his boy Rufus goes to church here. As well as his mother, Simon's wife, uh, the mother of Rufus. And Rufus, uh, Rufus's mother, Simon's wife, cared for Paul. At some point in his ministry, he said she was like a mother to him. Okay, so Rufus' mother is out here somewhere, and she knows Paul very well. Uh, on the Jewish side, there's a guy named Herodian, and you're related to Paul, don't know how, but you're a kinsman of Paul. They're also on the Jewish side, and they're kind of important because we're in their house Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla are kind of a special pair. Uh, they've only, we've only been meeting in their house for about two years because they were gone from town for about five years. Uh, see Claudius, the emperor, decided the Jews and he, Christ thing, a sect of the Jews, was causing so much trouble that he threw all the Jews out of Rome. Okay, so Aquila and Priscilla were Jews; they had to leave Rome, and they went to Corinth, where they met Paul. And they got very close with Paul, but about two years ago, Claudius died, so. Aquila and Priscilla got to come back. Now, I said today was a big day. Today's a big day in our little house church because Sister Phoebe is here. Uh, Sister Phoebe has traveled from Corinth to come visit, and not just to come visit, but to bring us something. And she has brought us a letter from Paul himself. A letter from the Apostle. And today we're going to read that here in our little house church. Now, here in Rome, a lot of us know Paul, and some of us know some other apostles, but we've never had an apostle here. We've never had one visit. We've never had any direct teaching from an apostle. Now, we will get some in a few years, Paul's going to come visit us. And a few years after that, Peter's actually going to come to town. So we will get some apost- apostolic instruction. But today, do you understand how big a deal this is? Uh, we got a letter from Paul himself. Uh, the one that so many of you know personally. And Paul's heard about the rest of you. Because he corresponds with the ones he knows. And he's said that all over the world he's heard about this church and about your faith. He's wanted to come visit you for many years, but he hadn't been able to do that. So he's finally written this letter to us. And Phoebe's brought it, and today we get to read it. So if you've got that letter in your lap, you might turn to chapter 1 and we'll just start reading it. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. And in this first part, Paul tells us who he is and tells us about the church some. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's quite an opening. Now, Paul always starts out and says, I mean all letters back then, said who they were from and who they were to. Okay? Paul's just done that in the Pretty complicated, long paragraph, but he gets it all in there. Then he tells them who he's praying for. So let's go to verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Both yours and mine. Okay. Now, let's pause just a minute in reading our letter and and get back into our role. As the Roman church, as the little house church in Rome, you don't have a Bible in your lap. Okay. You you can't look down and read the letter from Paul. You can't read the Gospels. You can't read any of that. Okay. Uh, You you don't have it. Okay. Okay. Uh, everything that you know about Christ, about salvation, about grace, everything you know about that has been told to you by somebody sitting in this room, probably. Okay, it's all, well, I wouldn't call it hearsay, but that's what it is. Now, you've heard some things direct, like Rufus's mother sitting over here somewhere. She probably told you about the crucifixion. She probably told you about the resurrection because she was there. So she's probably told you about some of that. Uh, Andronicus and Junia over here. Uh, you were there at Pentecost, so you probably told about the day of Pentecost. You probably told that what that was like when you heard the wind. And you saw the tongues of fire, and you were one of the 3,000 who were baptized. So you've told the rest of the church about that. Eponidas, uh, you've told them about Paul and how he preached in Asia and some of the things that happened to him and how you were the first one baptized. So they got that much from you. Herodian, you're related to Paul. And I don't know how far you go back, but you probably have told the church about what Paul was like when he was a kid. How he became a Pharisee, how righteous he was, how he persecuted the church, and then how he became a Christian one day. So you know some family history there probably, pretty well firsthand. And Aquila and Priscilla, you guys, for the last two years, you won't shut up about Paul. You know, that's all you talk about is how great Paul is. So the church has heard all of this, second-hand, third-hand hearsay, however you want it. But what Paul says is, I want to come, and I want to encourage each other. A little bit of humility there, isn't it? You know, if I was the apostle, I'd probably say, I want to come tell you how things are. But he said, I want to come encourage each other. I want to give you some gifts. So we we grow up in Christ. All right, back to verse 13. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's stop there just a minute. Aren't you guys all Christians? I mean, that's why we're here on Sunday morning. So why do you need to hear the gospel? See, we think about the gospel as... Well, here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. You know, we need to tell people that. But Paul tells this church who has been talked about all over the world for their faith, he tells them, I want to come preach the gospel to you. Now, let's go back and remember that all we've got is hearsay. You know, we've heard things from some people, but basically we've had stuff handed down for 20 years Do you think maybe we've got a few odd ideas about salvation? You think maybe in 20 years of people passing things down verbally that we might have some strange doctrinal ideas about what saves and how we're supposed to live? Do you think maybe that as Jews and Gentiles that we might have a few problems with each other? about how we think about God and how we think about righteousness? We've got some 20-year-old Christians and we've got some brand-new newborns. Do you think maybe there's a few differences about what the gospel's really all about? Yeah, I think so. So Paul says, I want to come tell you what the gospel's about. I want to come preach the gospel to you. That's what this book is about. 16. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness, the righteousness from God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I think at this point, the little Roman church probably was pretty excited. Number one, that they had a letter from the Apostle Paul himself. And he said good things about them. He said he prays for them all the time. He said he's heard about them everywhere. He said he wants to come see them. And then he tells them about how important the gospel is. Because in the end, there's a righteousness from God. Now, if I had a wish, I'd wish you all could be as excited about studying the book of Romans. But I know sitting in a parking lot in 2020 or on your couch, it's hard to be quite as excited as the little Roman church was. But I want you to know that it's still the truth. It's still the exact truth that the Apostle Paul wanted the church to know. He wanted them to know it and he wants us to know it. And the reason he wants to know us is because there's power in it. And it, it, I won't tell you, it's worked for 2,000 years. About 400 years after this little letter was written, there was a Christian named Augustine. And Augustine was, well, he was immoral. He lived a wild life. And he was kind of Christian in name, but Christian in name only. He didn't live like it. And one day he read Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. And if you don't know that by heart, it says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Augustine changed. He changed from a party animal to maybe the greatest theologian that ever lived besides Paul and he still influenced hey, well, he influences not just the church but all the Western civilization by what he wrote okay two verses in Romans 13 changed him okay that's what Paul's talking about the power of the gospel. 1500 years after this book was written, that monk that I talked about earlier, his name happened to be Martin, Martin Luther. And he did love God. He wanted to serve God. He went into the monastery so he could serve God better. And he was so discouraged because he couldn't be righteous. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get it. Because you see, righteousness is perfect. Martin Luther figured out he couldn't do that. And he had got to the point where he really did hate God for expecting so much out of him. And then one day he read Romans 117, which we just read. And it says in the gospel, there's a righteousness from God. The light bulb came on. He said, I can't do this. I can't achieve righteousness. I've got to get it from God. Okay? Well, he began to consider the implications of that. And he began to take on the works-based establishment. He started a worldwide revolution, a worldwide reformation of how people relate to God and how they become righteous in his sight. Okay? I'm not saying he got everything figured out perfectly. But I'm saying Romans 17 made a difference. It had power in it. Okay. 1750 years after this little letter was written, there was a guy named John Wesley. He was deeply religious, Englishman. And he was trying to be a missionary, but he was deeply discouraged. In fact, he was questioning whether he was even a real Christian because he just couldn't do things that he found in the Bible. He heard a sermon on Romans one day. And after hearing that sermon on Romans, he began a revival of England and much of the United States. You see, Romans has some power in it. Now... You may not be completely excited about a study of Romans because it's a pretty heavy book. And we only got 13 weeks, so we're not going to be able to dive too deep, but we're going to hit the powerful points. And even if you're not that excited about it, I assure you there's a message in there for you. If you'll study it, read a couple of chapters ahead every week study it, begin looking for it, and then come and we'll talk about the powerful parts. Uh, There may be a message in there that you need to hear, like Augustine and Luther and Wesley and others. Next week we'll begin with verse 18 of chapter 1. We'll go through most of chapter 2. And what Paul starts discussing in those verses is the need for righteousness. That's where he starts out, is how badly everyone needs the righteousness from God. Thank you for your attention.